Hi, everyone. This is Group 5, and today we are going to share with you our podcast on health communication with the nutrition. My name is Maddie Enos, and I am a junior studying selling and sales management. My name is Amy Ayers, and I am a senior studying selling and sales management. My name is Maddie Glaveski, and I'm a sophomore in selling and sales management. Um, my name is Kevin Yang, who is, ma- uh, who is majoring in mass communication as a senior. Again, our health topic is within health communication within nutrition. Nutrition today is essential to the body. As consumers, we have seen a spike in processed foods along with health risks from unhealthy dieting. I'm sure you've heard new terms such as binge eating and boredom eating. It is so easy just to eat. I feel like we've all been there. But it is important to realize what that can do to our overall health. So we decided to get some deeper insight from a registered nutritionist and dietitian, which we will introduce in a little bit. In order to survive and multiply, humans must consume food and water from the outside of the world every day. Uh, with the development of civilization, humans have uh, gradually uh, began to explore diet and nutrition, and the true pursuit of the origin of life and health. Currently, with so many people getting sick from the disease named COVID-19, Unhealthy diets contributes to uh, pre-existing diseases that put them at greater risk in most parts of the world. Illness also means loss of income. So the COVID-19 pandemic has also changed many of our uh, daily work, including the way we eat. Maybe you have purchased packaged food and found that you are cooking more at home than usual. As we adjust, You may need to think about how you and your family can eat healthier during this pandemic to keep yourself healthy. So according to a scholarly article that was written by Kant and Aroni about the communication skills for effective dietitian patient communication that was found on the Wiley Online Library, communication skills and competence is an important skill for dietitians and nutritionists to have when practicing healthcare services. Effective dietitian and patient communication can be determined not only by verbal cues, but nonverbal as well. This is a topic that our speaker spoke about in the podcast by sharing some of her personal thoughts and experiences with this kind of communication. We reached out to Amy Fisher, who is a registered nutritionist and dietitian out of Los Angeles, California. In our interview, we asked Amy questions that referred to patient-provider communication, support groups within nutrition, cultural and ethical concerns, and privacy and disclosure within her field of nutrition. She gave us a lot of great insight into health communication among a dietitian and her patients, and just health communication in the field of nutrition in general. We are now going to hear from Amy Fisher, who shares her personal experiences as a dietitian. It's recording. Perfect. Okay, so I guess we can start by introducing ourselves. So my name is Amy, and I'm in Selling and Sales Management, and I am a senior. I'm Maddie, and I'm also in Selling and Sales Management, and I'm a junior. Can I stop you guys for one second? Yeah. Yes. So usually when it's recorded, I get something that says this meeting is being recorded, and I didn't get that symbol. So I just want to make sure that you're actually on record, because I would hate for you to get to the end and find that you weren't recording. I yeah, see, no, I my, see it right there. Yeah, my computer shows it up okay. there. 
Right. Um, that Sorry to mess you all up. <laughs> Let <laughs> us go again. Don't worry about it. Okay. No, that's totally fine. All right. I just wanted to make sure. No, I appreciate that. Good. Um, so my name is also Maddie, and I'm also a science sales major, but I am a sophomore. All right, your turn, Amy Fisher. You want me to tell you a little bit about me um, yes. and my role in healthcare? Okay, so I have a bachelor's degree in nutrition science from Cornell University and a master's in clinical nutrition from Rush Press St. Luke's Medical Center um, in Chicago, which is where I did my internship after I graduated um, with my undergraduate degree. I've been working as a dietitian for, gosh, at least probably close to 25 years. Um, I'm also a national board certified health and wellness coach. So um, I've worked in a variety of different settings over the years, um, inpatient, in hospital, outpatient. Um, I've been a nutrition researcher at Purdue. Um, I taught nutrition courses in nu nutrition and disease management and sports nutrition at Cornell. Um, and now I work through uh, recreation at UCLA and do a lot of one-on-one -on -one consultations, but also a lot of group programming. And we also have a teaching kitchen now. Um, luckily, I'm not the chef. Uh, I just provide commentary on the nutrients in the foods that the chef is using. Um, but it's really been uh, really great to work with people and help them to be able to incorporate some of you know the nutrition information that we have like it doesn't do a lot of good unless people actually are implementing it into their life so that's what i enjoy doing most all right awesome so can you describe a little bit more about the patients that you work with or your clients or whatever you call them yeah so it's a wide range um and because i am a health and wellness coach in addition to working on things like nutrition we often will cover topics like sleep and stress and life balance um, and i find that those are all really important pieces to talk about because oftentimes people have difficulty changing their diet if those other aspects of their life are out of balance um, but I do, most people want to lose weight, obviously. Um, some people just really want to improve the quality of what they're eating. And then I, I work with diabetics and people with heart disease and things like that, which is more specific um, in terms of kind of what we're focused on. But that's sort of the broad uh, population that I work with. Gotcha. Do you work with only students or faculty as well? So I actually work mostly with staff and faculty um, at UCLA. And then I also, I should mention, I do this online um, nutrition through a company called Vita. And it's all telemedicine, basically. Um, and that's mostly diabetics that I work with there. At UCLA, it's mostly staff and faculty. I do a little bit with students, um, but they go through the Health and Wellness Center at UCLA, not so much recreation. So um, we do a lot of um, the Bruin Health Improvement Program, which is called BHIP, is for faculty and staff. Um, and so that's mostly who I'm working with. Very cool. I do work with the spirit squad here, which is like <laughs> the cheerleaders and the, the spirit team. Mm -hmm. I do them um, as a group, um, but that's, that's pretty much it for students. Yeah, okay. Um, do you guys have any other introduction questions that you want to ask before I get into my section? 
Um, what does like a day in your position look like? So do you have a lot of like consultations? Are you in person with them? Like, what does it look like? Yeah. Well, since COVID, it, it's, it looks like me sitting at this desk <laughs> on a Zoom meeting most of the day. Um, and so, yeah, it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one consultations. Um, I teach classes at night, uh, a few nights a week. Uh, one of them is a cooking class. One of them is specifically a nutrition class. Um, I, I actually, I, I forgot about this. So I am working with medical students here at UCLA. There's a teaching kitchen class that we have once a week with them. So it's a combination of one-on-one -on -one and, and group presentations, um, mostly, and it's all right here at my desk. Um, it used to be that I would go into campus and see people in, per in person through the rec centers. There's a couple different rec centers at UCLA, so I would kind of bounce back and forth, uh, but it was all in person, and now everything is virtual. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so my questions, I have a few questions kind of regarding to just the communication between you and your patients. So my first question is, how often do you communi communicate with your patients? So thinking of like one specific patient, maybe is it every day or just when they need guidance or once a week? Um, so yeah. Yeah, so a lot of that is dictated by the programs that I work for. So at UCLA, um, most of the people I see one-on-one -on -one are through a program called WorkStrong. So it's people who have had an occupational injury. And I'm supposed to see them six times within a three to four month time frame. And so usually I'm meeting with them, well, virtually, about every other week. And in between, I might send them an email, like, here's your goals that we established. Here's some resources that might be helpful to you. But um, unless they have specific questions, it's usually about every other week that I'm in contact with them. Um, through this thing that I do at Vita, uh, it's much more frequent contact. So um, new people, I see them uh, every week. We have an appointment. And then I touch base with them through a chat feature of the app, the Vita app, uh, at least once a week. Um, and it might just be like, how's it going with your goals? Or um, I can see a lot of their metrics come through the app. So I get like, <clears throat> if they're weighing themselves, I get their weight, I get their blood pressure, I get their blood sugars. And so I can send them comments about that through the chat. Um, so for those people, it's, it's probably at least once a week that I'm doing some form of communication, either through chat or um, an actual appointment face-to-face. -face. Right, gotcha. Okay. All right. So my next question is, what are some of the most important things you keep in mind when communicating and interacting with patients? So I don't know, being sensitive about talking about certain foods or exercise. Yeah. So I guess my overall theme would be like um, each individual is an expert on themselves. And mm -hmm. although I might be the nutrition expert, like they're the expert of themselves. And so when I approach a, a, a client, it's really to find out sort of what they're currently doing, what health goals are most important to them to be working on, what they feel most ready to change, what they're wanting to change. So as opposed to me just kind of going in and saying, this is the kind of diet that you should have. And these are the types of that you should be eating. It's really about helping the client explore what's most important to them in terms of their wellness. And then the topics that we cover is totally dictated by their responses to that, um, the type of information that they're wanting, the approach that they're wanting. So it's all very individualized. I don't know if that okay. answers the question. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to ask if it was also just like a rule of thumb thing that you would advise people to do. But after you said that, now I can see that it's kind of tailored differently to everyone's needs. Yeah, I mean, in general, if, if you know, someone were to ask me what is a healthy diet, I, that response would kind of be the same for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But whether or not someone wants to be following a healthy diet, you know, and exactly what that looks like for each individual is different. Um, and like I said, they're, they're an autonomous person, right? So they can decide like, yeah, those are healthy guidelines, but I really want to eat fast food every day, right? And that's a choice that's theirs to make, right? So, um, but in terms of kind of general um, nutrition, what does that look like? I would say, um, I quote Michael Pollan a lot, who's a, a researcher at UC Berkeley, um, he's written like in defense of foods and several other books, but he says, eat foods, eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super simple, but that's sort of the guidance that I try to encourage people around. And so what real foods people are eating, that might look really different. Some people mm-hmm. might have a higher fat diet, but when, when I'm talking about eating real food, it would be stuff found in nature. So, right. you know, whole grain. Yeah not seeds, lean meats, um, fruits and vegetables, you know, that's sort of the basis of a healthy diet. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think that's good. A good rule to follow. Um, so what has been, if you've had any, the biggest challenge that you've faced thus far in your career, um, communicating with a patient or a client, if you have one. Mm -hmm. So I would say, um, a lot of people want to be told what to eat, right? Just give me a diet plan. I'm good at following things. Just give me the plan. I'll follow it, right? Mm-hmm. And it can be frustrating for people if I were to say, you know, I don't really think that that's the best strategy, mm-hmm. right? Because anybody can follow something temporarily, but you're not really learning how to eat in the real world. Right. And uh, people like solid, like, information, right? Just tell me the best diet to follow, right? And when you say like, well, there's a lot of ways to eat that can be healthy, right? Like a low carb diet could look like, or say a high carb diet, for instance, it could look like you're eating a lot of lentils and beans and and vegetables and dairy, or it could be a high carb diet and you're eating ice cream and cookies and cakes. So it's really the quality of what you're eating more than like Mm -hmm nutrients but people you know like those guidelines seem very fluid and that makes people uncomfortable they're like just tell me what to eat right um and that's kind of a tricky message to share but really trying to come alongside them and help them to make a plan um but that includes the foods that they're wanting to eat and that fit with their lifestyle and their culture and their budget and um that's really important because if you just give a meal plan um people aren't going to be able to stick with that every day forever, right? Mm-hmm. There's holidays and there's vacations and there's other things that, that limit their ability to, to stick to a plan that somebody else developed. Right. As a follow-up, I was going to ask about like the budget. Like what do you do if someone's on a lower budget, but they have to be buying all these, you know, fruits and vegetables that can be more expensive? Yeah. So there are, um, you know, some resources available for people, like in terms of um, 
trying to think it's called like imperfect produce. So, which is a lot more affordable that people can do. So um, you'll get a box of fruits and vegetables and, you know, they might be a little bruised or whatever, but they're totally nutritious, edible things to eat. Um, you know, I don't really sell people on organic. Like if you have a lot of money and you want to buy organic, great. But um, the main thing is this, we need you to eat your fruits and vegetables and they don't, you know, the, the benefits of eating organic versus like, well, I can't afford organic, so I just won't eat any. Uh, we know it's better to eat, you know, <clears throat> fruits and vegetables, no matter what, you know, their sources come from. Um, looking for things in season, frozen vegetables, frozen fruits are equally, if not sometimes of higher nutritional value than fresh. Um, you know, things like beans that you can get um, are super cheap. Eggs are cheap. Um, so especially if people are making the foods themselves, a lot of times people on a tight budget um, are also tight on time. So they go out to restaurants and things and end up spending quite a bit of money where if you could make the meal at home, you'd really save a lot of money that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm done asking my question. So Maddie, if you're gonna go ahead and ask Kevin's questions. Yeah, so um, we have another member in our group who couldn't make it. So I'm kind of going to ask him, um, ask the questions that he had prepared. So this is more on the cultural and ethical concerns um, through all of this. So what are some difficulties, like when you meet face-to-face -face with patients or online? Um, just like how do you deal with the cultural difference within your job? So you mean like um, different food preferences in terms of... Um is that what you mean? Yeah. Or ethics as in like, I don't like to eat animals. Um, I'm concerned about the environment. Um, um, really all of it and whatever you see most, whatever happens throughout. Yeah. Well, so you do kind of have to be sensitive to people's um, traditional diets, right? So, um, you know, there's, I, I have a lot of clients that might be Indian or um, they're Mexican, right? Or um, so they have special food preferences and, you know, like the things that I might picture on my plate look very different for them in terms of their culture. So that is part of our training, um, is to become informed about what traditional foods are and how to help people incorporate some of the nutrition guidelines that, that we've established to be healthy, but using those traditional types of foods that are part of their culture. Um, but then there's also, yeah, a lot of people that are concerned about the environment and how do we cut down on um, packaging and, um, you know, methane gases through, you know, animal consumption and ethical treatment of animals. Um, and so all of that plays a role. And I guess I would bring it back to really exploring that with the client themselves, because for some people, these might not be considerations, but for other people, they might be you know, really important considerations that you would need to take into account when you're helping them decide what to eat. Right. Cool. Um, and so with that, how do you encourage the people you work with, like when they want to give up on the dieting and exercising habits, how do you encourage them? Yeah. So this is also really individual, um, lies. I would ask them, you know, what, what do they most value in their life? 
right? What's most important to them right now? And for a lot of people, you know, it's their family or they want to be around for their kids or their grandkids, or they don't want to get sick and, you know, be confined to a wheelchair or um, have a heart attack. Or a lot of times, you know, they might reflect on um, someone in their family, a parent or a sibling that, that had diabetes and, you know, passed away or had, you know, and so really trying to get them to think about, like, why is their health important? Why would they want to be doing these things? What are some of the benefits that maybe they've noticed from exercise? Uh, has there been a time in their life where they felt like they were doing it consistently? And how did that feel? Um, what, what things did they notice in terms of benefits? Um, so those would be some ways to kind of motivate them to really just think about how what they truly value in life ties in with their health and wellness. Um, that would be one thing. Okay, awesome. Um, and then I'll ask one more question of his. So he said, um, what do you do on campus or like throughout your job um, if they think that you're treating them like through bias or in a wrong type of way? How do you handle that situation? Uh, well, you know what? I don't know that that's really ever come up <clears throat> at least recently, I think my coach training has really helped because um, if I notice at all that a client is becoming defensive in any way, like I'll just check in and, and be like, you know, like you seem like what I just said, um, you know, maybe struck a chord. Can you tell me more about that? Right. So you're giving them opportunities to to share, like if there is any disconnect or um, you know, what you try not to do is, is create resistance in a client, right? So if you notice that they're pushing back and they're resisting, like that just means that I am trying to convince them of something, right? Or trying to sell my, my viewpoint on them or something. And so you can, first of all, you try to avoid any resistance building, but when you notice some resistance or some, um, just conflict that you address it before it becomes an issue. I don't know if that. Yeah. So kind of like an open communication with them. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, always reflect, like having them reflect back. So, and asking permission, like, um, well, I have some information about that topic. Would you be interested in me sharing it? Right. Instead of just like pummeling them with information that maybe they have no desire in hearing. So asking permission before you share information. And then once you share the information, then to elicit sort of how they're feeling about it. So, you know, what do you think about what I just talked about? Right. So you're getting their reflections on it. And oftentimes like they may have misunderstood what you said. So you can kind of, cause I think sometimes it, the resistance, um, or conflict, you know, a lot of times it's miscommunication. So if you can have them reflect back what they heard you say, um, you can make sure that they heard what you intended them to hear and clarify anything that they might have uh, not understood the way you meant it. Yeah, I think that's that's a great thing to do. So that's awesome. Um, but I'm going to move on. So Maddie, would you like to ask your questions? Yeah, did you ask all of yours about, like, disclosure? Go on. So for my section, I've, I'm talking about privacy and disclosure. And so you kind of just touched on that a little bit. Um, but do you have any, like, rules or a system to set up when it comes to confidentiality? 
Yeah, it's really a big deal with the Vita uh, telehealth that I that I do. So everybody um, has to sign a consent, and we follow all the HIPAA requirements. We're not allowed to share any information, even with other providers, um, with the person's name attached to them in any way. So we have like a team code. So if I'm going to reach out to my lead to ask them a question about one of my members, I would use the team code. Um, we use um, Virtue, which is like an encrypted email system. So if we're ever emailing our clients or if we're emailing another provider about the clients, it's all um, encrypted. And then we're also not using their identifiers, you know, in any way that can be linked to them. Um, so it's very strict there. Um, I would say at UCLA, it's maybe not quite, um, they it's a little bit less, it seems like, um, but still, you know, we're, we're required to follow all confidentiality and, and HIPAA procedures there. Um, with that, have you ever ran into a situation where you thought that like breaking those rules and like conducts would be beneficial, like more beneficial to your patient? Um, in what ways do you mean? Um, just like, for example, if you see maybe you're trying to reach out to someone like to hold them accountable if you don't think like they're doing it on their own. Um, and you maybe think like it's a good idea to reach out to like their roommate or something like that. Like, you know, something okay. along those lines. Gotcha. Um, so, I mean, there are certainly um, times when if, if you feel like the person's going to harm themselves, um, that those confidentiality rules don't apply any longer. So, um, in that sense, with my clients that I see, I would definitely follow those guidelines. Um, if it was more like a personal situation, um, you know, my standards would probably be a little less restrictive. So if I thought, you know, that there's potential for a roommate to help, um, for instance, if it was my daughter or something like that, which Amy, maybe you and I should talk after this, um, you know, reaching out um, in that respect. Um, but I do think you have to, um, it's, it's a tricky situation and there has to be real reasons to break the confidentiality when you're in a business, you know, when you're actually, it's part of your job or your health care that you're doing and it's not a family member or friend or something. Okay, awesome. And then I, so kind of talking about going back to the communication part of it, but how do you create an environment that makes a safe space um, for people to disclose their own information, like how they feel, what they want to do with their eating and diet habits? Yeah, so rapport, I think, is huge and establishing that right off the bat, but also at the start of every consult, right? Like, um you know, you can build up a bank of sort of trust, and but but it's definitely something that you need to to be keeping at the forefront of your mind every time you talk. So building that rapport, having empathy, not you know like judging people. So being open um, and uh, accepting of where people are at, and um, really trying to encourage people. So if you can find any nugget of positive thing to praise, um, like be sure to do that. So, you know, maybe they're having a hard time eating well because they are taking care of their kids and they're working and they're helping their kids do homeschooling. And to just point out, like, gosh, you know, you sound like you're a really good mom, right? Like, 
that just really affirms the person. And when we can cultivate positive emotions in people, it actually makes them more open and willing to, um, you know, see the broader picture and be more motivated to change than if you're like, well, you know, like you really need to be making healthy meals, right? Right. Like that's just going to shut a person down as opposed to trying to find ways to praise them for what they are doing well. And, um, in coaching, we say what we focus on tends to grow. So if we're focusing on things that are working or going well, even if they're little small things, um, that will kind of empower someone to make another healthy choice. Whereas if we're focusing on things that are going wrong, um, that tends to grow. So you can kind of dig yourself into a rut. Um, So really trying to point out what's working well for people, um, if they've had success in the past, what helped them to be successful, and would some of those things work for them now? Um, Those are some of the things that come to mind. And I guess the kind of moving back a little bit to your question about like breaking confidentiality, I think it's totally fine to, to talk to the person and say, you know, I think that this would be really something that, you know, it would be great that you talked to your mom about, right? Or, um, you know, I think I'd really like to share this information with your parent or your roommate or someone that might be able to help you. Um, and so, but not just doing it behind their back, right? But, but that's another way to approach it so that you get um, their consent to share. I think that that could be an important step. Great. Yeah, thank you. That information was very helpful. Um, but I think I'm good with my questions. So, Awesome. So I'm going to ask you some questions about support um, and like support groups and just how you create that support for your patients. Um, so my first one is how do you provide support for your patients? Yeah, so I um, communicate, right? I like to summarize the goals. I like to send them, like, the resources that they, that they can use. Um, read the question again. <laughs> Sorry. Um, how do you su- uh, provide support for your patients? Yeah, so sometimes it's reaching out um, and, and providing them with some resources to look over. Um, you know, if they're, if they tell me like, Oh, well, I found out my vitamin D levels were low, you know, then I'll say like, Oh, well, would you like to hear some, um, sources of good vitamin D and would you like me to send that to you as a resource? So that would be a way to support them. Um, for some of the online group things that I've done, um, not everybody wants to have a buddy, but I might say like, you know, would you like to be paired up with someone else in the class that you could contact throughout the week to kind of keep each other accountable? Um, and so it's not required, but if I have two people that both feel like they want a buddy, then I can pair them together, um, and they can touch base with each other through the week, something like that to add support. That's very cool. Basically, yeah. yeah. So that kind of feeds into my next question, which was, do you have any support groups that you suggest your patients join? Um, so do you do it more so like within your class or do you have like other resources and websites that you like to um, like tell your patients about? Yeah. So at Vita, they have a lot of support groups through the app. So there's like a weight loss group or whatever. Um, cool diabetes group. And so they can join into these more social groups and they're actually led by a, like a health coach. So they can, they're kind of moderated that way. Um, at UCLA, like I mentioned, we have a couple of different Bruin health improvement programs that they can get into. Um, and so they're more in a group setting. So the people that I see individually, 
Um, that's certainly a recommendation. Um, they cover not only nutrition, but they have like three exercise classes a week where they're with the same group of people. Usually it's, it's on campus, but now it's virtual and people seem to really like the virtual classes. They that's can awesome. see everybody in their class, but they're doing it at home. So those are some things that are kind of built in as far as like outside of those, like I know like spark people, there's like different groups that you can join. Um, I'm not all that familiar with the different groups that are out there. I think Noom is like a really popular kind of weight loss right now that I think has group stuff, Uh, but I'm not as familiar with those programs. That was great. Um, How would you say your patients react to like receiving support? I know sometimes like people can be really resistant to joining those online or like those support groups or like uh, getting a buddy or a like joining a blog type of a thing. So how would you say most of your patients react? Yeah, so actually most of the people that I've encountered don't choose to take part in the groups or like in the groups that I've had, like in a class of like eight people, maybe two will decide to buddy up. So, and I don't know if that's like time, right? Like we don't have time for this or it's like, well, I don't even know this other person. Like, I really don't want to be vulnerable with someone that I, I don't really know. I'm not really sure the reason behind it, but I would say most people are more interested, at least for nutrition counseling and the one-on-one type of activity. Um, for exercise, I think people really love a lot of the group stuff that happened. Yeah. Would you say that you see better results, like with the people who do join the groups, or do you see kind of the same you know, I don't really know. Um, that would be a really good question for like Vita to explore um, of their members who are parts of the groups. How do this compare to people who don't take part in the group? I mean, I think we know from, you know, I think the research supports that groups are helpful uh, or at least yeah. having a support network is very helpful. And whether that comes from like a group that um, you join up with that's part of a weight loss program or if it comes from your family or friends. Um, we, we do know that who you spend time with has a profound influence on your health habits. So I think it's always good to try to find others that um, are kind of pursuing the same health goals as you are because it can be really difficult to exercise if all your friends like to just watch movies and sit around all weekend, um, you know, or if you're trying to eat healthy, but all your friends want to go eat at In-N-Out or, you know, something like that every time you go out to eat, right? So your environment and finding people that kind of want to live the same healthy lifestyle that you do can certainly be helpful. Yeah, that's actually great. That feeds right into my last question. Uh, So what advice on advice giving would you give to a friend or family member of like one of your patients? Are there certain things that they should veer away from in conversation or like certain things they should and shouldn't say? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Like if you're trying to encourage someone else to eat well, like are there things you would say or not say? Yeah. So like what advice would you give to a family or friend of like one of your patients type of a thing? So like to help them kind of maybe encourage them in their journey. Um, How could someone support someone that's trying to make healthy changes. Yes. Something something. like that. Sorry. That was worded hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would kind of just go back to a lot of the things that I've been saying and, and that's like really try to help the person, um, think about why these changes are important to them 
you know, um, you know, how can I best assist you? Right. So asking, not like, just like, but really like, what ways could I help you in this? Right. Like, um, do you want me to make a comment if you are going to the refrigerator? Like, do you want me to say, are you really hungry? For some people, they might want that, and that might be really helpful. And other people, that would set them off and piss them off so badly that they're going to open the fridge and, and empty it, right? So yeah. um, so really having the support person ask, like, how could I most be helpful to you, I think is is probably the best advice because it's yeah. going to look different for different people. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Okay, so we I have like two more questions and these are kind of like our conclusion questions. Uh, so can you tell us about the most challenging thing about your job and the most rewarding thing? Um, the most challenging thing right now is sitting in front of the computer for hours and hours at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, especially if you're seeing back to back people, it's sort of like by the end of the day, I'm like, if I have to talk about someone's food and food <laughs> anymore, I'm going to die. Like, I don't want to hear about what anybody ate, you know, like, so it, it can be a bit monotonous. Um, and that's why I think it's so much better to, to really find out kind of the, some personal background about your client, what makes them tick, what they enjoy about their life so that it is individualized. And it isn't just this rote, like, blah, 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 this is a healthy diet, you know, like, so, um, trying to keep it, you know, fresh and, but that can be frustrating at the end of a really long day. It's sort of like, I, I just can't think about this anymore. Um, tired of talking about food. Um, oh, yeah. and then the rewarding thing is just to have people feel like their life is different, right? Like I have a client, Evita, who's lost like 30 pounds. And awesome. when she first came to me, she had lost her husband. He was the primary cook. She had never experimented in the kitchen. She wasn't exercising. And she's like, I never knew my life could be so great. She's like, I'm cooking. I enjoy what I eat. I have so much energy. Uh, she just has a really enthusiastic outlook and hope for her future. Um, That's so and so that's the rewarding part is just to really see people flourish. Um, yeah. That's really awesome. And then my last question is, is there anything else you would like to add that one should be aware of when it comes to health communication within your field? Hmm. Well, I think in the field of nutrition, you're probably all very aware that um, there's just a lot of conflicting information out there. And the way that nutrition often gets communicated is very sensationalized, right? So, you know, they pull one study that was really poorly done and it's in the headlines is like, okay, like butter's back, right? Or, you know, so you, you see all of this and it, it can get really confusing for people. They don't really know what to believe and they throw their hands up and say, you know, the nutrition people, they don't even know what we're supposed to eat. So I'm just going to go ahead and eat whatever the heck I want, whatever tastes good to me. Um, and so I think we do know, as I mentioned, um, we need to be eating real food, right? Like non-processed food. Um, we need to balance our calories in with our calories out. And we need to be emphasizing, um, you know, those fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts. You know, there is room for 
animal products if you choose to have them, but not everybody does, and that's okay. You can still get your nutrients through plant sources. Um, but I think, you know, staying on point with, with that message so that it's, you know, it's really not all that complicated, but with all the crazy research and different um, information out there, people feel lost. And I think that that is a real negative because then they, they don't know what to do. And so they don't do anything. Yeah. No, I definitely can see that there's so much on Google is like your worst enemy, but best friend also. (laughs) So we just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to let us interview you and bombard you with questions. Um, But this was really awesome. And it was really great. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. I think, yeah, health communication, just our health is so vital. And the way people hear those messages, I think are so, can be so impactful. Um, yeah. I honestly learned a lot today that I didn't necessarily know or think about when it came to that kind of thing. Me too. <laughs> Good. <That's great. laughs> well, if you have any other questions or yeah, you do any other projects, I'd be happy to help. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's really all that we have. Yep. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Liked hearing from our speaker and about her experience with health communication in her field. Now we are going to share our thoughts about what stood out to us most about our conversation with Amy. So I'm Amy right now speaking, and I learned a lot of interesting things that I did not know about dietitians and nutritionists. There are many more psychological factors and interpersonal communication competencies that are required for someone in this field than I had thought that there would be. Um, So Amy Fisher, who was our guest speaker, she was very knowledgeable on the things that she was talking about. And our conversation with her just gave me a new respect for people who have a career similar to hers. Yeah, um, and this is Maddie Glayevsky here. So throughout the conversation, Amy touched on the fact that as a nutritionist, you have to tailor your messages differently. There's a lot more that goes into the process than I expected. You not only have to think about your patient's body, meaning how they exercise and the food that affects them, but you also have to think about their personal lives and what is going on in them. Everyone comes for a different reason. It is important to understand that situation and sympathize with them. This reminded me a lot about what we talked about in our health communication class, specifically patient-centered communication, also known as PCC. Amy has to focus on the health character characteristics of her patient while also having a concern for the patient's perspectives and what is it and what is important to them when it comes to the food they want to eat or the exercises that they want to partake in. Amy made me realize how different everyone can be. She could have patients who are vegetarian, vegan, have allergies, or they might be on a tight budget and so much more. She has to constantly adapt to her patients because without that understanding of their lives, it can cause a lot more harm to them in the long run, meaning they could get more upset, reject the message, or give up completely on wanting to change their health habits. And now Kevin will be speaking next. For sure. Um, so my primary concern is on ethics and cultures. I understand dietary practice and uh, therapeutic uh, exercises are essential as far as our health issues are concerned. Uh, most par- practic- practitioners have in- initi- 
initiate a framework through which their um, parents and the client can easily uh, subscribe to. Uh, in this script, various concerns from the patients can be raised and the project how a professional dietary um, consultant can respond to them. Fisher, uh, Amy Fisher and her experience in the field have uh, adequate uh, expertise and her talk is quite um, insightful. So for first question, uh, I asked uh, I, um, I, I ask what are the, some difficulties you meet when you face some patients from other cultures on, on the campus? So from this question, like um, having the dietary needs of virus uh, clients can sometimes be triggered but can be managed. Cultural differences influence patients on a dietary as well, and therefore it's fundamental. According to Amy Fisher, she said um, it's uh, imperative to consider their traditional mode, mode of nutrition of the patient as a way of addressing the culture issue. For example, the, um, a Chinese patient will prefer their um, natural way of diet uh, administration compared to a uh, Western. Furthermore, other patients tend to be um, conservative on matters environment, and they are also considered when engaging them from a dietary context. So generally getting to understand the patient's background is, is essential because you will deliver the right quality of nutritional content. Also, culture is a powerful aspect to um, consider which uh, comes to the treatment of recommending a client. Both locals and the foreigners of new clients have their uh, respective way of engaging in the exercise. As a professional, it's, uh, uh, it's their responsibility to deliver what is the best for the client's interests. Similarly, I may also try something new to better what the client already knows. For example, the locals have subscribed to norms. However, I would like to maintain and absorb what they want. So my exposure technique, technical, technical to the clients depends on their preference and taste. Um, for the for the next question, I ask um, how do you think one's view of dietary um, influenced by cultures. So a person's view of option or optional about certain dietary practices will originate from their culture or normalized. As a professional, uh, Amy understand that culture is deep rooted in everybody's perspective about something, and therefore I respect that. Uh, in conjunction with these matters, Amy Fisher said, I will integrate both professionalized and the cultural uh, uh, dynamic of the client to deliver something better. Um, I will also challenge the client to try out something new that I'm offering. Besides dietary and culture, it's per imperative to understand how the client is uh, conservative about the culture. These dynamics will help in neutralizing the cultural influence on diet. Um, so in, uh, in conclusion, uh, I recognize the potential benefits of engaging in diet and exercise because they foster your health. Uh, um, similarly, try always to integrate your client's concerns and differences into the program to accommodate, uh, accommodate them. The cultural aspects has become quite outstanding in, this, in the discussion. 
um, therefore, it's always a matter of con- uh, it's always a matter of concern. As a dietary practitioner, it's always a sign of goodwill to appreciate the um, the diversity of others, and it should be evident from a practical perspective. Thank you. Hi, this is Madison Enos, and I found our interview with Amy Fisher really opened my eyes to the world of nutrition. Sure, we know how to eat right and exercise, but there is much more to nutrition than just the physical health aspect. Amy does not only focus on food and healthy eating habits with her clients, but she also covers sleep, stress, and life balance because those are all super important pieces that can affect your diet. When those pieces are out of place, so is your physical health and eating habits. She helps people lose weight, but also increases the quality of what they're eating. I thought that was very important because people tend to only think about nutrition nutrition and diets when it comes to losing weight, but people may meet with a nutritionist to just go over how to eat healthy food or um, not for the sake of losing weight, but just to like feel good on the inside and out. Um, It was very interesting to learn about the ways Amy supports her patients. Nutrition is very specific to each individual person, whether that be their meal plan, exercise plan, personal goals, or ways to support. Amy emphasized how she supports her patients differently. Um, and it's really up to like what her patients want and how they want her to support them. Some of the ways she supports her patients are through communication, summarizing their goals and sending them resources. Um, she really likes to reach out to her patients and just see like what they need. And if they're interested in something, she'll send them resources about that to further educate themselves. Um, she also recommends other programs like support groups or getting paired with a buddy um, if they're in if they go to a group class and then holding each other accountable for the week and communicating with one another. She doesn't um, or she noticed that a lot of people choose to not partake in like the group activities um, and she doesn't really know why she thought maybe, just the thought of being vulnerable with strangers could be frightening or there's not enough time. But um, a lot of her patients are really interested in that like one-on-one nutrition counseling. And she mentioned that her patients love to participate actually in group exercise classes. And with COVID and everything being virtual now, they still participate virtually and do like the exercise classes. And she said that's a really great way for people to see the support of others and like be involved still. Um, And she tells us that the most important thing to do when supporting someone through their nutrition journey is to just ask how you can help and to create an environment with people pursuing the same health goals and reminding them about why these changes are so important to them. She also shares with us that the most rewarding thing about her job is to have people like or feel like their life is different and to see people flourish. And I found that very impactful and important because people can't do this journey alone and they need the help and support of others to make a real change in their life. We want to thank you so much and hope you learned a ton about health communication within nutrition. Thank you.